crypto winner slows volume on some of the biggest exchanges. Uh, it's the article that I chose today. Individual investors are shying away from trading as crypto prices continue to fall. Bitcoin is currently 39% off the all-time high, Ethereum 35, LTC 68, and Monero 65% off all-time highs. Uh, FTX and Coinbase mentioned there needs to be more confidence from retail investors for crypto trading to come back. Um, they're saying that it's possible that Q1 of 2022 is another mini crypto winner. But in my opinion, it's just as possible that as soon as the indicators reset, which would be another, you know, four to five percent, uh, we could get another leg up in this multi-year bull market. But I guess that's kind of yet to be seen. Um, I'm pretty sure the last major bear market we had, Bitcoin dropped something like 87 percent from its all time high from 19K to three and a half. So it's really just as easy to make a bearish argument as a bullish argument at this point, in my opinion. And uh, I bring up the 27, 2018, because in my opinion, like this time around, there are a lot of different places, and a lot more things that you can do with your crypto rather than just have them, you know, sitting on your cold wallet. Um, I'm sure there were lockups earlier on for network security purposes or whatever else. But now with LP farming and staking, I know a lot of people aren't going to have to fully endure the same fate if we do go down, you know, 70, 80 percent. Um, I know personally, I definitely DCA down during 2017 and 18, but I would have made 10,000% if I would have just sold and rebought. But um, I don't know. What do you think about this, Jake? Yeah, it's um, like trying to figure out whether this, how long this could last. It's tough because Bitcoin's only about 13 years old and Ethereum's um, you know, a bit younger. But like you said, we're in a bit of a different regime different environment now we have like billions of dollars that are locked up in total value locked across all these protocols it's just a very different time than four years ago when we were at the last peak in 2017 so you know if you go if you take that four years from peak to peak 2017 to 2021 um it, it's just such a short history here that trying to draw any patterns or parallels is borderline impossible unless you start making like stock market comparisons. So yeah, I mean, this could be temporary. Um, I think one of the things that might make it temporary, you, last year was kind of the story of institutional money just flooding in with um, Grayscale, the Bitcoin trust going up, up and up, ETF, uh, Bitcoin ETFs getting approved. So all this institutional money now has multiple ways to access Bitcoin. And since Bitcoin kind of leads the rest of the crypto market still, um, that could create like a floor, maybe making this a uh, temporary slowdown in prices and trading activity. Or I don't know, maybe we're in for another couple of years of a pretty quiet market. Um, I guess for me, my, my, my main concern is last time crypto kind of went down was about two years ago when COVID began to spread, stocks tanked and correlations rose and crypto and Bitcoin tanked along with stocks. So I'm just wondering now, will those correlations still rise when stocks undergo turbulence or has crypto become such a diverse, different type of market with different dynamics, like all that value locked up that maybe if stocks tank, people actually flock to crypto and you see trading pick up. So 
Right. I and I think, sorry to cut you off. I think no, that's I, another I was just going to say, like, I could, I, I could kind of make a story for the good and the bad for myself. What do you well, think? That's, that's exactly it. It's like, where does your, like, what do you wholeheartedly believe in? Or what do you believe in more than the other side? You know what I mean? Because both right. cases, both sides have cases. But, like, I didn't even think about this. Back in 2017, 18, like, I remember being back on Christmas and, like, my sister's husband and, like, other people were asking me what Coinbase was and how they could buy Ethereum and all of this shit. And Coinbase is, like, public now. Like, I think crypto exposure mm -hmm. is definitely at least 10 to 20 times where we were, you know, three or four years ago. So even just that, I think, would help a little bit more. But, yeah, that's that's my last two cents. Yeah. I, I don't really like making predictions just because I feel like I don't care how smart you are. I, just nobody has a crystal ball. So maybe some people have slightly better insights and that they can – they have like a 55% success rate at predicting the future while the rest of us are stuck at 50. Flip, mm -hmm. But I, I guess this is still a financial market. There's going to be ups and downs. And even though institutional money flocked in, it's clearly just there to see Bitcoin hopefully appreciate. So even though the, there's a, there's all these other protocols like the market and all these, the environment around cryptos so much more advanced and so different now and diverse. Um, yeah, I could just still see it getting taken down for a couple of years for like a short, like a small bear market. Cause yeah, it's just still, it's still peanuts when you compare the total market value of crypto to just some of these tech companies or even like the equity market as a whole, it's still very much in its infancy. And so it, it might, my belief is that it's still going to be prone to very large swings. Um, so, yeah, that's my prediction for what it's worth, I guess. Yeah, um, cool. Well, we can uh, we can kind of slide over to the article I brought, which was an article that looks back on Bitcoin and China during 2021. As maybe a lot of people know, uh, Bitcoin and China, that relationship has always been uh, antagonistic. China is not a, hasn't really been a fan of Bitcoin. And I think it's fairly obvious China's approach to governance as the Chinese Communist Party uh, is total and ultimate control over every aspect of society. And Bitcoin flies in the face of that quite a bit. But they went ahead and just you know, put all their cards on the table this year back in May they completely banned everything about Bitcoin, mining, trading, all related activities, put through new laws to go after individuals, throw them in jail for even affiliating with, with Bitcoin. So what you saw was um, a really crazy chart that I saw out of the annual Masari report, which was that the hash rate which for those who don't know, the hash rate is really just the processing power capability of the Bitcoin network. So the more people you have committing their computational power to the Bitcoin network, the higher the hash rate goes. The higher the hash rate, the more transactions, the more new Bitcoin can be issued. So because it's a proof of work network, China had at the time earlier this year, 75% of the hash rate. So they produce 75% of the processing power of the Bitcoin network earlier this year. And after this ban went into effect, it went down to zero. So China succeeded. They snuffed out Bitcoin as it existed within their 
um, within their country. And what the article is really saying is good that those miners, like the, the hash rate, the processing power tanked, but it has since recovered to where it was at previously. So the network's just as strong as it was uh, before the ban. Only now, instead of being hyper-concentrated in an authoritarian controlling regime like China, miners fled to Kazakhstan, Russia, and North America. So, uh, and the article argues that's that's much better for the network to be based in a more global presence, and especially in North America and the U.S. with a more democratic uh, and, at least compared to China, more open regime. So, yeah. So I think that kind of describes the article. What do you think about it, Mike? Yeah, uh, I mean, we all know what China likes to do. So the one quote that got me was not only were Chinese lawmakers spooked by the assets volatility, but like various governments around the world were perturbed by their inability to influence it, which you hit the nail on the head because everybody knows that if Chinese government isn't able to control something, they shut that shit down very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I remember three or four times in the past, you know, even just five or six years when China outlawed you know, different financial institutions and blocked certain crypto exchanges, but it was never the mining and trading. So what I thought was most interesting is I feel like last Thursday when I was on with Dylan, we were talking about CBDCs and I brought up how the People's Bank of China has been working since 2014 to launch the first state-backed digital currency. So, I mean, I can see why they shut I can, if you're a Chinese government official, I can understand what they were thinking initially. I just don't think they thought it through at all because if their CBDC kind of shits the bed, they're, they're way behind. Cause as you pointed out, when we were talking about my article, you know, the United States is now a dominant mining hub. We, you know, the United States launched the Bitcoin futures ETF and Bitcoin hit an all time ban after it happened. So I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a bad thing at all in terms of the crypto community and what it did for us yeah so yeah to to your point i can obviously understand why control was a deal breaker why china they wanted their control but what kills me is that if you're china you have 75 percent of the hash rate for bitcoin coming in your door into your borders and you just kick that wealth generating machine out the door it's really cutting off your nose to spite your face but i'm sure that's far from the first time they they did that so um, yeah yeah no, i agree and by the other thing i was reading this third article and maybe we can plug it in here but like this is just a mass philosophical debate that we can get into some other time but i was the main point of the article is that every 500 years there's like a paradigm shifting event in western civilization starting around like 4 BC. And I mean, at the 21st century, we're in like the fourth cycle of that right now. And I know the big thing is, you know, cryptocurrency versus, you know, tether and like US dollars that aren't backed by gold anymore. And what's going to be the next, you know, either stable coin or world asset that everything gets pegged to. So it's just a really interesting, you know, thought of where we're going and, you know, how, how it all plays out is going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I I, I try to give myself a little uh, hesitation when predicting that we're living in the times where the world fundamentally changes because I think I think it's tempting to believe that you that we live in unique times, but at the same time, I I don't know. At the very least, if you're 
whoever Satoshi is, um, even if the world doesn't change much more than it already has, uh, man, I just think it'd be this thought I keep going back to is to be that Satoshi guy, to see something that you just created on your computer, have this kind of impact on the world, um, just has to be the most bananas experience <laughs> to, to watch your handprint spread through the world in the way it has. And uh, I don't know, it's, um, it's just truly like a unique experience that that individual gets to go through. And um, I have no idea if he's like, I should look into this. I don't know if he's like written more, followed up, or has a blog of some kind. He does not. I'd read that book. I'll tell you that. Bro, I think his last post on the Bitcoin network was like 2009 and it was something. Oh, okay. I think he was active after he wrote that message about the chancellor uh, bailing out the banks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, I think it was like 2009, 2010. And then all of his activity ceased and so grew the legend. Yeah. Well, we have a couple minutes. I'd be happy to take a listener or a caller if anyone wants to call in. But um, yeah, otherwise, I I will just mention that this article also talked a little bit about Bitcoin and the whole energy dynamic. And one thing that has always been a knock on Bitcoin is that it's very energy intensive with its proof of work model. And that in a time where we're trying to combat climate change, it's antithetical to our long term interest uh, survival as a species at least that's the way it's always been framed but um i I guess i read this interesting perspective which is that miners seek out the lowest cost of energy like that, that they're just doing cost benefit analysis so if you get to the point where clean energy and we're actually there in, in many respects for wind and solar if wind and solar become cheaper than any other form of energy then all you're going to get is miners flocking to these green energy sources. And if that happens, then you actually end up with a bit of this green energy subsidy happening from Bitcoin, which would completely turn this narrative of Bitcoin being destructive on its head. Uh, so, so just a little point at the end of the article, thought it was kind of worth bringing up. It's still something I'm, it almost sounds too good to be true. Like, but it kind of makes sense. So, something I want to keep looking into. But yeah, obviously- wasn't it? Wasn't it something like seventy-five percent of the Chinese Bitcoin mines were run off coal or some shit like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they they said that they kind of flow back and forth based on the rainy and wet season. Um, yeah. But it just went to the point that miners are very fluid. They'll they'll find what wherever the cheapest form of energy is, and they'll get there quick. So we have yeah. a couple minutes left. I want to take Ruben's call. Um, Ruben, how you doing, bud? Ruben, you on? I think you might Let's be on see. mute. Is this thing on? Yeah, um, there we go. Yeah, so uh, the other thing to consider as well is that um, not all energy is equal, right? The reason that we see so much of a difference between peak and off-peak is because, you know, uh, not outside of the demand uh, of, of humans using power, uh, there's also um, a supply threshold, which is a lot easier provide during the day when you have a whole lot of solar right um and so uh what what we see happening a lot in the mining side is uh miners will physically move next to the energy generation sources um and will basically sort of play the arbitrage game where there is an oversupply of energy in the area 
where there's like a fixed supply with like a like a hydro dam or something like that, um, where there's just simply not demand and there's no way to store the energy in a meaningful way uh, at sort of municipal level uh, sort of quality um, and sort of get it distributed. And they'll just basically like hit hit the, hit it when the sort of demand is low and supply is high and then the, the, the rates are low. So there's a couple, so two things there. One, absolutely, um, if you increase the demand for energy, uh, people will look at it from additional sources, obviously including wind and solar and renewable sources of energy. Um, and then the second one is, you know, a, a lot of the usage isn't coming from, uh, it's not competing for the same energy sources that most people would assume they're competing for. They're just taking the excess energy where there's low demand uh, because it's the cheapest, not because they're good guys. Um, so, all of which is to say, you know, I, I think proof of work is um, safe, it's stable, it's reliable, it's secure, which is why we're sort of seeing uh, Bitcoin being traded a little bit like gold or silver as a store of value rather than a means of exchange. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things develop, but my, <laughs> I, I haven't seen anybody... Uh, you know, launch a project that is based on proof of work since Bitcoin actually. Um, you know, it's all proof of stake or other sort of forms of proofs. And so as those, um, as those proofs develop, uh, so we can have the, you know, parity in terms of security, um, my gut feeling is that the energy conversation will, um, you know, will go the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if, even if, Proof of work, proof of stake, proof of work is still, it works. And even if the energy discussion really isn't fully being talked about in an accurate way, I wonder if it's just not even worth the headache. So it's like, you know what, whatever, proof of stake, we've got it to the point where it works just as well. Let's just move on to this way of doing it because it's just dragging, it's just pulling us back. It's dragging this advancement of crypto down. Um, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting. I, I didn't know if there was any proof of stake. It's cheaper as well. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for chiming in, Ruben. Really, uh, always nice to get callers on here. Uh, well, I think we're just about at time. Um, good to talk to you, Mike. Appreciate Charlie, Karma. I really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Uh, please subscribe if you're not. Otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow with more from the Daybreak Crypto team. Definitely. Appreciate all y'all. Yeah.